0: Hi, in the hills of Happy Valley, Oregon, welcome to Until We Meet Again, brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, and friends like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground immortality, mortality, because after all, we are all in this together. Today's reading is edited and adapted from the writing of the series, God's Masterwork. Paul wrote two Corinthians at a very vulnerable time in his life. He had leaned and learned also that the church at Corinth was struggling, and he sought to take action to preserve the unity of that local body of believers. The letter is riddled with personal comments as Paul revealed details about the persecution he had suffered. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3-4 to 4 reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which ourselves are comforted by God. My guest today is Pastor Tom Shive. He is the lead pastor at Gateway Church in Northeast Portland, and apparently he is a huge fan of a good plate of pasta. So let's just dive right in here. What is your favorite plate of noodles?
1: My favorite plate of noodles, I would say it would be... um Rigatoni mm. with some marinara sauce mm. and uh, either um, meatball or sausage on it uh, or grilled chicken. That would probably be my favorite plate So, uh, of pasta. That would be my favorite noodle would be rigatoni.
0: Yeah, that sounds good. Yep. Have you heard of the Preti before? Uh, No, that's a fun noodle. It was actually named for a gluttonous priest who ate them too quickly. And they look like these half bits of penne and like tube shaped pasta. They hold the sauce really, really good. And they're really savory. So you might want to look into that the next time you're at the pasta shelf at your local grocer there. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, that's why I like rigatoni because it's got a hole in the middle of it, and it kind of gets the sauce in there as well. So it, it gives you a bit more of the good marinara when it when it when it's right.
0: Nice, and I really appreciate talking to you about food because I think people still look to pastors as this person of the cloth, and that when they see you walking our way, we yell to ourselves just in our heads: we yell, "Pastors coming! Look busy, or look holy, or something like that." And mm-hmm. you know, it's nice to know that what you really want to talk to us about is your marinara and your
1: You have it right. (laughs) That's right. Well, I'm Italian, so that's uh, that's what we talked about a lot growing up, and uh, that culture still spills into my life, uh, you know, each and every day.
0: Very nice. I love it. A minister once told me that grief counseling, it's one of the hardest things that he has to do in ministry. He says that sometimes words, they just aren't enough. And he said seminary didn't prepare him for that process. So I'm just presuming that you probably have always taken care of the hurting in the church and that you probably serve as the unofficial grief coordinator there. What are your thoughts about what this pastor had to say?
1: Yeah, I think he's, I, I think he's right because everyone grieves differently. I think that's I think that's uh you know that's that's so true you have to understand more than just the loss of someone what was the relationship of the individual to the person and how deep and and uh, how long was that relationship I think everyone grieves differently and so it it's really a skill to practice good emotional intelligence and and good listening skills to find out what the relationship was what are the areas that are, are really Bothering the individual, could it be guilt? Could it be that they didn't spend enough time? Could it be that they think they could have done more? Um, I think I think he's right. Um, seminary does not uh, get you ready for the various aspects of grief. We all are taught in seminary to to handle grief, but but it really is on the one-on-one basis or the family basis. It really is kind of a a, a dance, and it's kind of a art form to be able to really listen understand and and address the issue of grief, if necessary.
0: At Gateway Church, I know that you are all blessed to have a grief-share ministry, and not only are you all blessed to have that, but also the parishioners at your church. If you can explain to listeners, what is a grief-share ministry?
1: Well, a grief-share ministry is really a support group. It's a place for help and encouragement um, af- after the death of a spouse, a child, a family member, or a friend. It's a place where people can come and share uh, share their given information. Um, you know, once the flowers end, the meals stop, uh, once people begin to go back to some sense of normalcy, who do they talk to, how do they rebuild their lives, and uh, how do they deal with the issues of grief that just sometimes can overwhelm them and so grief share provides a place of support and encouragement for people on their grief journey and again people are in different stages of their grief journey and it usually uh, is about an eight, 8 to 13 week program It covers issues like the journey of grief and your relationships and some of the guilt and anger that might develop which is a part of the grief cycle, some of the complicating factors. It also is realistic about people getting stuck in grief, and so it deals with some of those, and it also provides lessons for people during the holidays. We recently had a Sunday afternoon where we talked about surviving the holidays, particularly when you've lost someone within a year or so of that given holiday. How do you handle the new holiday and the new sense of... Of loss you feel when um, the holidays come, so it's a great support group, actually, and we have had it for uh, a number of years here.
0: I really find that giving a safe space to have the conversations about death and dying, that is just an incredibly meaningful piece, and very powerful. And in your grief groups, do you find you talk about people getting stuck occasionally? Are there people sometimes who come to listen? maybe don't share? Or maybe in their share, you're finding out that they're not really using all the tools that are available to them?
1: Well, we have a couple, uh, Tom and Liz Jordan, who um, were, you know, the couple that when we were looking to have grief share, st- stepped forward. They're, they're outstanding in how they lead this. They're very sensitive. They lost a son to suicide, and we wanted to be sure that the couple that we had that would lead this group walk through some really dark valleys in grief as well. People come again, you know, Elizabeth, at all different stages and so um, sometimes people don't know the resources are are available to them and GriefShare provides them with those kinds of resources. Uh, Sometimes they don't know that there's others who have felt like them and gone through similar cycles and situations, so GriefShare provides that kind of support group yeah i think I think people come and they're surprised at how much there is to talk about grief how normal grief is and the resources that are available and and you know that's that's why grief share is such a vital ministry for us it's our probably our one of our most popular ministries here uh it It fills up quickly and we have a number of people who who uh from outside our church body who attend it so uh yes i think I think people do um you know uh forget about the resources that are available to them, and it depends on the stage of grief they're in sometimes they're so uh rooted and stuck in the area of depression or anger that they they won't come to grief sure and those are the ones that really really break our hearts.
0: I'm sure there's some sort of a fear picture for people who think, oh, it's like going to counseling. I have to sit there. I have to tell my whole story. I have to be very raw and bare and open. And I don't want to do this. I already spend my private time feeling bad and feeling sad. I want to go either listen to other people or I would find you probably have parishioners who feel like their friends don't understand them. And this would give them even the resource of friendship to know that there's somebody next to them who maybe had a suicide in the family and being of Christian faith, feeling like, well, yeah, I'm a widow or widower, but if my loved one killed themselves, then I'm not really treated like a normal widow or widower because my person didn't slowly succumb to cancer. They chose to end their own life. So I think sometimes people feel like people don't just don't understand them. So I think that's just so wonderful that there's a safe place, like you're saying, You've chose two really strong people rooted in faith as well as having a clear understanding of man, this stuff really hurts, and these people running your group didn't learn this stuff by reading a book they lived it
1: Well, that's right, that's right elizabeth and and it's it's not just a, a group where every everybody just you know pours themselves out, although there's the freedom to do that. GriefShare is made up of of three really important pieces. One is a video seminar that everyone watches, so there's some instruction that goes on. There's experts, and these experts are counselors. There are people in the area of thanatology. Thanatology is the study of the you know of death, and there are people who who talk about that. And GriefShare provides group discussion, so uh, it, it it's built upon everyone in the group sharing, and also there's a personal workbook for people to take home so that there's carryover so they can work on what they've learned as well as journal uh their feelings and their thoughts so it it provides not only a place to build friendship and to kind of find a good community or we you know we kind of call it an oasis where they can come and just decompress for a little bit and and work through issues it it provides them with good information and great counseling so the people who lead the group are facilitators, and they are the ones who carefully sort of monitor, you know, what's going on in the group, the time frame to it, and then kind of make sure that the group moves forward. the The video seminars are are um, you know are, are outstanding because they're experts in the area. They're people who are counselors and caregivers who can talk and walk with people through grief. So it's a good it's a good ministry. It's one we—I I, I just can't uh, praise uh, praise it enough.
0: There's a wonderful resource that's available to people 24 hours a day if they're good at it or don't even know quite what to say, and that's obviously the power of prayer. Yeah, I'm curious when people are doing this from your point of view, going through grief, going through the death of somebody, what should the focus— of prayer be? Because for some people, I think they might feel, I'm going to pray to God to heal my mother. And then when mom doesn't get healed, they might feel like their prayers weren't answered, their prayers failed, or even maybe God failed them. So what would you instruct somebody or give a little bit of soft guidance to that could really be the focus of their prayers?
1: Well, we, you know, we look at what people go through as a journey and uh, we look at psalm 23 where people jesus says there david writes yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they come from me so we we point people to jesus and we try to tell them that whatever stage or whatever is going on uh, jesus is there to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death and and you can rely on him to provide the resources. And and so the focus of the prayer can be, Lord, walk with me through this time and help me to have the strength I need to face the daily challenges. Because as one person is going through maybe different stages of dying, there's different challenges that are that are given each day. And so we try to put it in a daily kind of prayer, Lord, walk with me through this part of the journey and guide me in this part of the journey. And... We always, you know, try to let people know that one of the best prayers that they can pray is the prayer that Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, when he was there. He, um, he prayed, Father, if it's, if it's your will, if it's possible, take this cup from me, you know, um, but not my will, but thine be done. And that's probably one of the most honest prayers in all of Scripture. I mean, Jesus, God himself, <clears throat> knows the cross is going to be a difficult time, and he says, I know it's going to be hard if there's another way of accomplishing what you want and, and to bring about redemption, do it in a different way. I mean, Jesus is really speaking from the side of his humanity. But then he says, not my will, but thine be done. And I think that's that's an honest prayer, actually. Lord, I, 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 if you could heal my mom, Lord, if you could heal my son, or Lord, if you can heal me, please do it. But you may have different things in store. You may have other lessons in mind. You may have... A whole different plan. I'm a human being. I I don't know what it is. So, so may your will be done, Lord. Because really, what I want is not my will, but yours. And that's that's you know we try to put it into that kind of context. And so, uh, when I pray for people, I do that. I say, Lord, my heart is just open. I would love to see Sean healed as he walks through this difficult time, Lord. That would be great. We would love that. But Lord, we know you've may have something else in store. So not my will, but thine be done, and, and Lord, we'll be satisfied with whatever you're, you've written on the scroll of your will for this life and for our lives as we walk through this tough time.
0: I'm sure for people, obviously, that's probably such a giving and amazing prayer, because when someone is actively dying, it probably is not theologically correct to ask God to heal them or to ask God to help them. Make everything okay. I imagine, and this is a question which might be a little bit tricky, but I'm sure you probably have a wonderful direction to point us in here. How does a person of faith reconcile faith with acceptance that God might not heal that patient and therefore they're angry with God and they feel let down and they might come to the group and they might be completely closed off because they feel that nope. I did everything I was supposed to do, and God, you didn't uphold your part of the bargain.
1: Boy, that's a yeah, that's a that's a very difficult place. I think uh, it's an honest place to be. I think people can be angry with God, disappointed with God. Uh, God is big enough to handle that disappointment in that anger. Uh, the Psalms, you know, tell us, and you know, David is often angry. David is often up you know high and low and he's all over the board emotionally when you read the psalms and the psalms give us freedom to come before the throne of God and and speak as we as we like to speak God understands the anger in our heart and he understands that that you know we don't fully understand it eventually you know we have to get to the place where we have to realize we are not in control of life life has a lot of uncontrollables and the, the words of the Apostle Paul, particularly for those of faith, is, is that, you know, to depart and be with Christ is far better, and that we don't grieve as those without hope. And as we say here at Gateway, even though we've lost, you know, Alyssa, or we've lost Susan, they would not return. They would not come back. And as much as I would want them back, or you would want them back, they wouldn't come back because they're in a place where there's no more sorrow, there's no more pain, there's no more suffering. They're in, a, in paradise, as Jesus said to the thief on the cross. So, so we try to understand that we don't in any way shame a person for being angry. We don't judge a person for being angry. We don't uh, dismiss a person's emotions or anger. God gives us the freedom to be in those positions, understands them, and walks with us through them. So God is not offended by our anger and he's not, you know, put off by our anger. He understands the grief that we go through and I think that gives us the the freedom, as someone said, to storm the gates of heaven and and ask God, What in the world's going on here and why'd you do this?
0: A lot of people I interview on this show have lost somebody, and we'll talk about what worked for them and didn't work for them while they walked through this journey. And some of them have said they want to remind people to look for other needs to be met than just delivering food. That may be something good to offer someone who is grieving is, of course, not just to go to church with them, hold their hand during a sermon, pray for Mm -hmm. them. But there's some tangible things. Maybe look to... Um, mow someone's yard or take their trash out, clean their floor. Nobody ever wants to say, hey, let me come over and take care of your toilets, but that would be pretty darn nice if somebody went ahead and cleaned everything up. And of course, during the holidays, we can always offer maybe somebody doesn't feel like putting up their tree or doing anything and maybe doing some decorating help. If somebody came to you and said, Pastor Tom, um, the person who sits in my pew, or somebody i know in this congregation is really hurting what can i physically do to show them love and support what could you give them as an option
1: well we would you know we would we would say do something that you know or perhaps understand that they might enjoy if it's if it's going down and having them if it's a woman maybe they need their nails done and you can go and get you know a pedicure with them or a manicure with them. Um, maybe you can just ask them. You know, uh, there's a number of things perhaps that you, you you need this time of year. What what you know? Can I do to help you? I'm available for you. Um, what what can I do? And then do do the thing that they ask. Maybe it's just going over and sitting with them. Maybe it's taking them to a to a movie. Maybe it's uh, taking them to a concert. Maybe it's just spending time with them. Uh, washing their car, wrapping their presents, um doing some shopping for them if they're not in the mood this time of year, particularly, you know, can I go to the store? Do you have a list of things that I can uh pick up for you that can help with your Christmas meal? Can I wrap some presents for you that might just you know take some time can i uh can I do something for your family? Can I take you somewhere and be with you there's lots of lots of those good caring um things. I know that one woman who was struggling with, with uh, cancer, uh, somebody called her and said, hey, let me take you out for a mani-pedi, and that was a beautiful thing, um, and I think that is, is just a real practical. She felt like she was being loved. She felt like she was being pampered. Um, there's always those tangible good things that, that make people feel loved, and I think that's the key, make them feel loved and accepted and cared for.
0: I love that. These are really helpful. And something you touched on when you first started sharing this information, it's really about knowing that person's love language. Do they Mm -hmm. want acts of service? Do they want words of kindness? Do they need gifts? Sort of what is it that you can accept which makes you feel loved? And for some people, myself personally, I wouldn't care for a manicure, a pedicure, but many, many women would. And what a wonderful thing. I don't know if I'd go for the toilet cleaning. I think I'd go for the mucking out the stalls of my sheep and my goats. But, you know, we all have different needs and to know Mm -hmm. what might work for you putting somebody in your car saying we're going to go tour Multnomah Falls that might be so wonderful for someone someone else might say oh it's a burden I really don't want to be drugged down I-84 and see all these waterfalls that reminded me of my loved one
1: that's that's a really good that's a very good point the love language issue as well as just listening and knowing what the person really, really appreciates. At Gateway, we have a number of life groups and home communities. And I know that when when people lose loved ones, when people struggle, our home communities and our life groups, they sign up right away immediately for meals. We have people who are scheduled to bring a meal a night for maybe a month sometimes. And that really helps people work through their, you know, their grief issues. And and enlightens the load for them, too. So, um, you know, finding out, as you said, Elizabeth, very wisely, what's their love language, what makes them feel loved, what can be of the biggest help to them, even in the smallest way. You know, hey, could you go to Costco and pick this up for me? Could you uh, wash my car? You know, it's dirty. Would you just take it? I, I just don't feel up to it. Anything like that that can just alleviate them uh, of a burden for the moment can be so
0: helpful. It's amazing what people want, too. I had asked a woman this once who came into my funeral home, and she said, if I could just get a phone call every night about 6 o'clock so while I was making dinner, I would just feel like I wasn't alone. I could share my day. I could ask somebody else about their day, and it helps me move into the evening and not feel like it's going to be dark. And it's going to be quiet. I know that phone's going to ring at 6, and I'm going to answer, and there's going to be somebody who's going to have a sunny disposition. And that doesn't cost any money. That doesn't cost any time or leaving your house. You can do that in five minutes. And for someone who is lonely, wow, huge blessing.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, a way, that's another love language, spending time with a person. It may not be personally there, but you're spending time with them over the phone. And that, that's a wonderful way of uh, making a person feel loved.
0: My church has what they call a loss calendar. And I know this is a really powerful tool. It enables you to follow up with calls and cards, maybe three months after someone died, maybe six months, and definitely on the one year anniversary, you can still remember that that person died rather than thinking, yeah, I think it was that maybe Christmas season, you know, specifically on the 19th, that person's father died. And that's a really big deal to them. I think that that's amazing. Just, I don't know if it's even the note in the mail or the phone call. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. My father died recently and on his one year anniversary, I received some text messages just from some random friends who I had no idea even were that sentimental to remember. And they could have just happened across his um, bulletin for his service and just happened to see the name or who knows what. But nonetheless, on that day, when I was feeling kind of low, random people just said thinking about you today or they'd share something funny about my dad. And I thought, what a miracle. Didn't even have to ask for that, that they could have, they could have texted me while they're standing in line at Starbucks or warming up their car. I had no mind about it, but how neat that that was remembered.
1: Hmm. Well, and that's, and that's a, that's a good thing. And that requires someone to be organized to remember that somebody to write that down, somebody to be sure that, that, you know, that that lost calendar is taken care of, and and that's, that's a very loving thing to do, uh, instead of trying to bring that to your memory on your own. Having that calendar is a great suggestion, actually, and it's a very loving thing. Uh, our life groups do that. I know that our home communities also place, you know, people's names in certain guides or books so that they are aware of that. Grief Share also does that as well.
0: I think that's wonderful. And any of you listeners out there... If- Moving on from now forward, if anybody in your life has somebody they love pass away, maybe make a quick little note in your Franklin Covey date planner or on your phone. And then when it goes on to the next year, move it along to the next year. And there you go. It'll be sitting there in bright red pen when December comes along and all they're ready for you. And it will be no big effort on your part, but it will be a huge blessing for that person that you remembered.
1: Very good. Great idea.
0: Thank you. And say the name. Oh my gosh, Pastor Tom. So many people say to me, I just want them to say my husband's name. Just say Frank this or oh, that reminds me of Frank, not Mm -hmm. he or your husband or I think the worst is, oh, I didn't want to bring up his name or I didn't want to mention him because I didn't want you to feel sad. Well, you know, if you've lost a spouse, chances are you remember every day you lost that spouse and you probably feel sad every day. So it's not really going to um, irk much. (laughs) It's beautiful just to just to say something.
1: Yeah, I just right before I got on the phone I was talking to the um our office manager here at Gateway Church and she's lost a dear friend and mentor um in June and I just right at the right at the desk I just looked at her and I said it's going to be a hard Christmas for you you're going to miss Joni aren't you? And and that that just let her know I was thinking of that that you know hey Joni was it very important to you and she's going to be a loss for you and just that name you know uh, and just remembering that was very helpful
0: you sound wonderful pastor tom you sound like a wonderful human we have oh. <laughs> one more minute i just want you to share your loveliness for us
1: wow when you mean share my loveliness what do you mean <laughs> well tell tell us
0: something you have going on at church you're excited about
1: well we um yeah we have a um, we have a, a so much going on here it's hard to it's hard to put it in words we've got Christmas Eve coming up, 6.30 here at Gateway Church. We're we're adding a new addition, actually, onto our building to provide uh, handicapped space and access to an elevator for people. We've got uh, kids' programs going on. We have a senior exercise program here that starts at 1.30 on Mondays and Thursdays, which a lot of seniors come to. Um, It's a really well-rounded ministry. Uh, We enjoy it here uh, God has been really good to us. It's a it's a good family. We want to partner with Jesus to love people, and so we're constantly looking for ways to reach out into the community, to make a difference and an impact because we think we're here for the community. We're not we're not here for ourselves. We're here to to bring the love of Jesus Christ into the community, and so we look for ways to to make that happen. And have a great staff. We have good good people who just love the Lord. So. Uh, Gateway a, gateway's a good church. If your listeners are looking for a place to come, uh, we would love to have them.
0: You've been listening to KKPZ 1330 AM The Truth. Thank you so very much to my guest, Pastor Tom Shive. And until we meet again next week, be excellent to each other.